0: Hey everybody, Dope Nostalgia episode 11. It's been a crazy, crazy time lately and I just want to send some love out there to you guys, send you hugs, virtual hugs because I miss you, I miss my people. <laughs> I've uh, been at home for, this is day 18 turning into 19 now as, as I'm recording this and the podcast will come out in two days. Um, so yeah, and it's it's been tough, it's been tough, but I'm getting a lot done which is nice. And I'm sure you all can say the same. So um, if you guys want to share some of your stories from quarantine, um, what kind of music you've been listening to, um, some some feelings about the podcast, whatever you feel like doing, shoot us an email. You can hit us up at Dope Nostalgia Podcast at gmail.com or check us out on our social media pages too. You, you know what to do. This uh, episode is going to be a supersized episode because I have so much information to share with you um we're talking to the lead singer of mr big eric martin he agreed to come on the show and uh man that was a beautiful conversation um he really put me at ease i have to say that when i felt really comfortable chatting with him for as long as we did and it was a long chat that's why this episode is going to be massive um because not only will we be showing playing the interview right away, we're going to get right to that. And then we're going to have my guest, my friend Kendra, who is a massive Mr. Big fan. She's also a singer, vocalist, songwriter in her own right. She's going to be coming on and reviewing some of the, our favorite Mr. Big tracks and also talking about how we felt about the interview with Eric. So that's coming up shortly. But first, let me give you a little bit of background on this amazing group. They're called Mr. Big. Wikipedia Moments Mr. Big is an American hard rock supergroup formed in Los Angeles, California in 1988. The band was originally composed of Eric Martin on lead vocals, Paul Gilbert on guitar, Billy Sheehan on bass guitar, and Pat Torpy on drums. They are noted especially for their musicianship and have scored a number of hits. Their songs are often marked by strong vocals and vocal harmonies. Biggest hit? This one, you. you know it. To Be With You was a number one single in 15 countries in 1992 and Just Take My Heart was a huge hit as well. The band takes its name from a song by Free, which it covered on the 1993 album Bump Ahead. Mr. Big remained active and popular for over a decade despite internal conflicts and changing music trends, releasing four studio albums, Mr. Big, Lean Into It, Bump Ahead and Hey Man guitarist Paul Gilbert departed the band in 1999 and Richie Kotzen was brought on as guitarist and vocalist. The band released two more albums with this lineup, Get Over It and Actual Size. Mr. Big broke up in 2002, but following request from fans, they reunited with their original lineup in 2009. The band's first post-reunion tour was in Japan. In 2011, Mr. Big released its first album in 15 years with the same lineup, called What If. During the recording of the follow-up album, the stories we could tell. Pat Torpy was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and participated only marginally as a drum producer and touring support. The band's ninth album, Defying Gravity, came out in 2017, was its last record involving Torpy. He passed away the following year. Not wanting to continue without Torpy, the band intends to release a final studio album, conduct a farewell tour, and disband. Mr. Big is frequently cited as an example of the big in Japan phenomenon, where a musical act is disproportionately more popular in Japan compared to similar groups. They're one of my very favorite rock bands of all time, and I was delighted to speak to this gentleman right here, Mr. Eric Martin. When was the uh, last time you came to Canada?
1: I was, well, I mean, are you, Sault Ste. Marie is, uh where I was about two and a half, three weeks ago, uh, which is, uh, that is, um, I was on the the, Michi- the uh, U- United States side, like on the border, uh, Sault Ste. Maria, mm-hmm. Michigan, playing a, a casino a couple nights there with, uh, I play with these two guys, um, like an acoustic trio. And it's one of the guys, PJ Farley, bass player for uh, the band Trickster from the 90s. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, really nice kid, really good bass player. And another uh, guy named Ben Hans, H-A-N-S, but he, he's a percussionist, which I think is funny, Ben Hans. Um, and he plays with Kip Winger. Um, we, Me and Kip and a couple of the other 90s rockers did a couple shows last year, and. I thought Ben was fantastic. So me and Ben and PJ, we kind of been doing this casino circuit once in a while. Um, it's, you know, it's like, it's my day job.
0: Mm
1: hmm. way, you know, it's like a little side project. It's not really a side project. It's just like, you know, making gas money and feeding my ego. That's it.
0: <laughs> well, um, sue St. Marie, I've never been to, I know this is a really large country. It's hard to get out far East there. Um,
1: yeah, like it was that. it. It was snowing so bad, <laughs> like five six, six inches of snow. It took us. We flew to Detroit, and then we we drove. PJ and I drove uh, about five six hours mm-hmm. uh, up the you know windy roads up to St. Marie, and um, just like f- just so much snow. It, it was unbelievable. It was like The Shining, and then. <laughs> And then we we showed up and we, um, the next night we were supposed to play a private party. And basically what it is, is that they had, so it was a ballroom that we played on Saturday night. And on Friday night, we, they said, uh, we're going to bust these people in. Basically, it's the losers, you know, like they they lose at all the craps tables and everything. So they're going to give them a show and then send them on their way. And that's pretty much what we did. We played in fl- front of all the blue hairs and all the you know the poor souls who lost their shirts at the uh, casino at the blackjack table. So we played <laughs> a little private party there, and then the next night we it was open to the public, and we had a really good turnout for acoustic rock show. Like it was like four hundred people. It's pretty crazy.
0: No kidding.
1: I know that's that's really good for this <laughs> age. For an acoustic cool.
0: show. Yeah, and I'm sure like those intimate shows are... I would say... I wouldn't say they're more fun than playing in an arena, but it definitely probably has its own element to it that's you can't get anywhere else.
1: I I, I absolutely love it. I mean, I've played the big stages all over the world and and still do with a lot of other projects as well as Mr. Big.
2: Mm-hmm. But,
1: but when I play the acoustic stuff, oh, I, I just love it. I, I love the sort of fear factor of it it you know it's the up close and personal but like they're they're hang on on every word every emotion every crack in your voice every blemish on your face you know yeah. it's just it, it's basically you're playing in front of your parents or something you know or playing in front of your you know in a living room with your friends and and family it's it's kind of scary but it's it's exhilarating i love it
0: like the whole intimate and interactive thing. I think, I think it would be more interesting for sure. Yeah. Just, I'm, it's,
1: you know, when you're running around on stage and you're playing in front of thousands and thousands of people, that in itself is just so cool, killer and cool, but uh, killer and cool. You could make, you could do a hybrid of that, but I can't think of it right now. I almost (laughs) did that. It was like killer, cool. Anyway. um, And I, I love running around on stage and doing a thing, but you know, you're at that point, you're just, I, I don't know. It's just like so many people. Uh, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a different feeling. It's exciting to be up there, but it's a lot more exciting when people can, you know, I, I write the songs that make the whole world sing, you know, and I want to, I want them to hear it and I, and I want them to hang on the lyrics and, uh, uh you know, I, I like. Um, and Mr. Big,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'm a little bit more kind of, I'm, I'm a kind of, believe it or not, if you know me or not, I'm, I'm not that way in person, but on stage, I'm kind of the quiet one. Um, just, you know, shut up and sing, do your job, you know? And, and no, I mean, I have a good time, but my role is, I'm not, you know, chatty, but on uh, when I do the acoustic stuff, oh man, it's, it's. I'm the biggest clown in the room, and um, I just have so much fun just chatting away and telling stories about uh, um, the songs and stories about the road, and and just ha- it's it's kind of part comedy show and part uh, acoustic soul show, you know.
0: hmm I um, I have a series of questions I'm going to ask you. Um, I'm going to start with obviously. The beginning, but not too much because there's a lot of that stuff I can just find on Wikipedia, right? It's or, you know, knowing yeah. the band's history and I'm having I'm having I'm
1: been a, up there, <laughs> yeah.
0: having been a fan myself for for so many years. Uh, I want to ask some, maybe some more in-depth questions um, like the song 1992. It Uh-oh. seems to already it, it seems to already tell the story of what happened from the sudden success of To Be With You. Um, yeah what made you decide to tell that story through writing the song
1: well paul gilbert wrote the song uh he it was on our uh our last album i mean there may be other albums in the future but as it is now that's the last album defying mm-hmm. gravity um he i don't, i uh, t- truthfully i thought it was a quirky corny kind of song when he brought it in and it, it was a little too like it, it it spelled it out. It was like revealing, you know, and everything. But what made us do that? I don't know. I mean, Paul brought it in. Paul writes these quirky kind of songs like green tinted 60s mind from the past. And
0: that's one of my uh, favorites. Yeah,
1: mine too. <laughs> mine too. I, I, I absolutely love that song. All the changes, the lyrics, the oh, yeah. uh, the melodies are just so, so cool. It was such a unique song. And if we didn't have that song, it wouldn't have opened the door for me to, to bring to be with you into the to the fold, because uh, mm-hmm. the guys were all like when they first heard To Be with You, they they were like, oh yeah, it's a good little song, yeah, that's cute, yeah, maybe we'll consider it, but when Green Tinted w- made the album, then To Be with You is like it 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 scoot right in, um, but 1992, you know, it was just a quirky little song that Paul wrote and and it's. Um, you know, most of the things that guy writes is everybody loves. And and it, I didn't I didn't like it when I first did it. And then I started doing it live and the crowds were just loving it. So I was I was married to
0: it. OK, I um, I the more I listened to it, too, it really grew on me. Um, yeah. And I often destruct, describe you guys as a super band <laughs> comprised of really elite rock talent. Now, how did you all find each other?
1: Um, there was, there's a friend of mine who's a producer and a guy who is, finds all these guitar players and kind of gets them all, gets them started. He, uh, he found Paul Gilbert and, and I think Vinnie Moore, maybe Steve Vai, um, Tony McAlpine. His name is Mike Varney. And he had a a label back in the day called, well, it, it still could be going, I don't know. Uh, it's called Shrapnel Records, and it was okay. a bunch of uh, great rock and roll guys. Uh, what's that guy, uh, Marty? Marty Friedman from uh, um, Megadeth and Cacophony and you know metal stuff like that. Um, but anyway, he, he kind of a headhunter, uh, discovering this uh, new guitar talent, and. So he's an old friend of mine. He used to play in a bunch of bands when we were growing up, and we ran into, it, we ran into the same circles. Anyway, he gave me a call and said, hey, you know, what are you doing? And I I, I was doing some solo projects, and I was signed to it, Capitol Records. But it, any minute now, I was going to be dropped. You know, I just had that feeling. It just wasn't going anywhere. Wow.
2: Yeah. And,
1: uh, and Mike uh, said, hey, do you, you know who Billy Sheehan is? And I go, nope. I don't. I didn't know any of these guys. I ran in, like I said, totally different circles. And um, he's. He goes. Uh, he plays with David Lee Roth. And I go. Oh yeah, the colorful one. You know, the, the guy the the bass player and the whole bit. And he goes. Yeah. Uh, he's looking for a, a singer to start a band because he's no longer with David Lee Roth anymore. And uh, Mike was notorious for doing those party phone call things. You know, when you put somebody else on the other line and you don't tell them. Well, he put, he put Billy, Billy was on the other line, and, and uh, Mike goes, so Eric, you know, hey, Billy's on the other line. He wants to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, shit, thanks. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> and, and Billy goes, hey, you know, I love your, well, he said a, he has a really low voice. He, um, he said he really liked my voice, and he heard a movie soundtrack that I did. I wrote a song with Neil Sean back in the day for a movie called Teachers, with Nick Nolte, and Joe Beth Williams, it was a good movie actually, uh, for the '80s. But I wrote a song with Neil called "I Can't Stop the Fire," and it was kind of metal, for what I was doing. I mean, I was doing kind of Daryl Hall meets Paul Young kind of stuff at that moment. But uh, I gotta find this song. Oh, uh, it's it's pretty heavy, pretty heavy, an '80s kind of, but pretty pretty rock and hard. Um, but Billy heard that song and he said, "Yeah, I love that, and I I love your voice, and I like the rock and soul element. You're obviously a Paul Rogers fan." Bingo, he hit the nail right on the head, and and then the two of us went looking for other musicians, uh, other musicians, and um, you know he ran into uh, P- Paul Gilbert lived in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, and he was a huge fan of Billy's from. Uh, I don't know where he. I think he heard his Billy's old records from the band Talis. Oh yeah. And, yeah, and when um, when Paul he moved to L.A. and he uh, he was a part of some sort of a um, uh, a guitar contest, like a shredder contest, and Billy was the judge, and he, Billy picked Paul, and I, they became friends in that way, or I don't know the circumstances, but they were friends. And Billy is the one who suggested, "Hey, I'd like to bring this kid in, to see if he could round out our band." And I remember when Paul came, first came in, and I was going, oh, "Holy shit, who is this kid? He—he's six feet. I think he's six four now. I don't know. Oh, is he? I shrunk. <laughs> he got taller. <laughs> um, but like six feet tall, super skinny, probably weighed a hundred pounds, maybe." Um, wearing some spangly clothes, he had his guitar had fringe on it, and he had—I don't remember what amps they were per se—but they were um, orange and green day glow, right? And it was like some long-haired skinny kid, I'm going, and going—and I'm, I'm—I'm in the middle of the room with a piano, showing these guys my new songs that I wrote, and I—and I look at Billy and I go, "Oh man, I don't." I don't think I fit in this project, you know, I was totally, I, I just didn't, I didn't fit in it. And then, um, we auditioned a, a drummer, a friend of Paul's that didn't work out. And then, uh, Pat Torpy came in and Pat had the same kind of, well, I mean, he was a huge Led Zeppelin and, um, um, free for, with Paul Rogers. And he liked all the same kind of music that Billy and Paul liked. They, they, totally clicked as a rhythm section, but Pat also had this pop sense too, which him and I clicked on immediately. And uh, that was it. We we rehearsed at a studio called The Alley in uh, LA, and I think another one called Mates, where all the bands uh, rehearse there now.
0: Are those places still around?
1: Yeah, Mates, definitely. Um That's I just got I just got off the phone with a really good friend of mine who works for Guns N' Roses. And I said, are you guys still at Mates? And he goes, yep, everybody is. It's just it's 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 a great rehearsal studio. Huge, lot of rooms. Um, But, um, yeah, we were working there. And I would say in the first eight days and I've said this a million times, but I'm, I'm sticking to it. About eight days we built uh like ten or twelve chassis of songs um that uh made up the first album. I mean we worked on it for about a year after that, but we wrote about uh ten songs in those first eight days. It was great. I mean that's I don't know if I mean you said you're a, a fan, so mm-hmm. this is a, this is the first album that has the you know the hat and shoes on it. And that was like when I had the piano I wrote uh big love and another song called rock and roll over. And Paul brought in anything for you. Uh, and Billy was um, coming up with the, the makings of addicted at rush uh-huh. with, with Pat and, and Paul, they, they go, Eric, do you want a piece of this? I'm like, nah, you guys go ahead. That was a stupid move on my part. Nah, nah, you, you guys go ahead, go write that little tune. Yeah, it was, it was a great song. And, um, And then and then I actually the funny thing is that I lived in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area and those guys all lived in L.A. And I was driving up every three days, three or four days and coming home. And so we we just had a little ghetto blaster in the in the, the rehearsal studio. And I kept going back home and writing lyrics and melodies to these songs and then chopping music parts up. Paul wrote so much that he was like, go ahead, do anything you want. So he had this riff and I wrote this other kind of riff to it and I go, okay, here's the song. It's called Merciless. And he goes, where'd you get that chorus? It's awesome. And I go, I think, I, I think I stole it from the Jackson five, <laughs> actually <laughs> it's funny. It was, it was yeah. Merciless anyway. Um, but yeah, we had a, so much fun writing that record and we, you know, we're, we were like new found friends. That first year was great.
0: No kidding. And that's probably a really exciting feeling to have that connection with other uh, musicians, especially when it comes to writing.
1: And especially, you know, it took me a long time. Like, I played in so many different bands uh, growing up, and there was always, like, okay, that drummer's really good, or the next band, those two guitar players are good, but the rest of them are, you know, okay. But I never was in a band with everybody just being you know, superheroes.
0: What do you prefer writing? Do you prefer to write lyrics or melody or what's your go-to? What's? Oh, I'm, everything.
1: everything. I, yeah, I, I, I start off with, uh, if, if it's lyrics, I mean, I write a lot of titles down, constantly get books of titles and little, little pieces of a lyric and I'll just go back into those notebooks and, something will click and I'm usually playing an acoustic guitar and just strumming away, strumming little chords around. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, anything and everything It's it's hard to, you got to kind of catch me in a good moment. You know, like I can't, I can't just sit there and write lyrics. I, I have to have like, I have to have like a music bed track or some kind of a, um, and granted, I mean, I've written music before, and I've written lyrics to it. And then I hated the music, and I wrote different music to the lyrics. So that's another certain thing, too, you know.
0: Yeah, there has to be the where it where it matches and works together. I'm a songwriter as well. I've tried to force lyrics I've written into, into a verse, and it just is like, no, this doesn't feel right. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know what?
1: I used to write poetry or my, you know, not poetry, like, I I don't know, you know, the poets of of the day, but you know, I just used to just write these rhyming little poetry lyrics or something uh, in the '70s, and I had a book of that too. And then I used to, this is this was my first uh, introduction of songwriting. I would get together with people, and they they'd have a little music idea, and I go, oh well, hey, let's see if these lyrics fit. And most of the time, all those days, man, (laughs) none of that shit worked. It was terrible. I mean, I was cutting my teeth, you know, it was um, learning how to be a songwriter, and and I thought it was pretty good on the first album, but on the second album, Mr. Big, for uh, and and I've written a couple pretty cool stuff in the past, but nothing to shake a stick at, you know, as they say, or, or my parents used to say. But um, yeah. I'm sorry.
0: Sorry, I was going to ask you about when you're writing and um, like, I think when we start off as writers, we do a lot of it by ourselves, but then when it comes time to collaborate with others, um, I don't know about you, but for me, being new at the collaboration process, it makes me nervous. To,
1: well, uh, well, it, it makes, it, it made me nervous too. I mean, like on that Lean Into It album, um, well, first of all, you know, when, you know, I've been in a bunch of bands before and I, you probably have as well. And... Mm-hmm. When you you know you're kind of thrown into the lion's cage with your bass player, guitar player, and drummer, and you're like, okay, we got to make something work, and we were lucky, pretty fortunate that we we clicked. Yeah. You know, um, Paul and I were kind of like the main songwriters, and then Billy would add some things, and then would come up with his own things, and then Pat, you know, he added his drum parts. But later on, uh, later on, like I would say. You know, a couple albums in, Pat started becoming... I didn't realize that Pat was such a writer. And I remember, I think, when Paul left and we got Richie Cotton in the band, and uh, Pat brought in about five or six ideas that we all did. I mean, he was he was great. Anyway, so you, you have your band, your core band that you, you're writing with, but writing with anybody outside of the mix is scary, just like you said. And yeah, so yeah. on that Lean Into It album, I, there was a song called um, Never Say Never, and mm-hmm. they, uh, the powers that be, I don't remember who it was, publishing company or record company, said, uh, we worked it out so you can work, go write a song with Jim Valance.
0: And oh, goodness. Wow.
1: Yeah, it was pretty cool. I went to Toronto, and I never, I think uh, it had only been my second time in Toronto, so I uh I went to his house. Or maybe it was Vancouver, I can't remember. I mean, oh my god, everybody looks the same. Uh it had what do you think? It could have been Toronto or Vancouver. Vancouver. Jim ba- Vancouver. Jim
0: lives- yeah, he's uh he's a Brian Adams guy, so they're both from Vancouver.
1: Yeah. Right. That's right. Vancouver. That's right. I, I I remember seeing the the uh the whole skyline. I mean, he had a beautiful home and we hung mm-hmm. out and he had just um Wrote He just wrote some songs for Aerosmith at the time. And I think mm-hmm. he, he just wrote... And this is a c- pure coincidence. I mean, I didn't know any music by uh, Aerosmith. Or I didn't know any new music. But I had this riff, and it was like... da It had this kind of same kind of lick as Love in an Elevator. And I hadn't <laughs> even heard the song yet. And when I played it for him, and he goes, Oh, man, I just wrote a song with Steven Tyler called Love in an Elevator that sounds just very similar to that. It could be like, you know, Cousins. And uh, and I go, oh man, I'm really loving this two- song. So we wrote that song, and if you listen to it, it it definitely has this uh, uh, elevator type of uh, groove to it. Yeah, I mean, and there's some little, uh, the chorus doesn't have it, but the but the verse does. It's funny, but anyway, I really had a great time working with him. I was super nervous. I was I, I, for the longest time. I just stood there and watched him write it, and I went, "Oh fuck, Eric, you got to buck it up, man. You got to, <laughs> you got to, you got to move in." And so I just, I mean, he's he was just taking control, and in a good way because I was just standing there like a deer in the headlights, you know.
0: I think and, that's what happens though is like for me, if it's somebody who's had a fair amount of success. Um, I find it almost intimidating and I'm afraid to look like an idiot in front of them. Like, what if I can't come up with the idea that blows their mind, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I just started being funny, making jokes and asking them a few questions about Brian Adams, which at the time probably wasn't a good idea. I don't know. I mean, I think they were all on the, They were having a falling out or something. I, I'm the not.
0: Timeline lines up for that. Yep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And um, and he felt like talking, you know. And I was being, you know, I, I don't know how old I was back in the day. You know, even in my 30s and 40s, I was super immature anyway. I could have been acting like a complete silly idiot. But um, uh, I just kind of bucked it up. and just started coming up with, like, I wrote uh, a good portion of the music and helped out with a couple little lyrics here and there. But uh, it was a good co- collaboration. We we just wrote the one song, took us like uh, the weekend because we demoed it, demoed it up, and then I took it back to the band. They were like, they they loved it, and the record company loved it. Kevin Elson, our producer, loved it. I don't think we ever played that song ever. Uh-huh. I maybe play, we played it once in Japan, which is hilarious. But I everybody loved that song. We never played it. Again. Funny. I think i
0: better play it on the podcast. <laughs> you
1: should you got to. It's a really yeah. cool tune.
0: We'll be right back. Yeah.
3: Hey, this is Quinn. And Charlie. And Naomi. We've got a podcast together. We learn, we love, we listen. That's why it's called Learning, Learning to, to Listen. L2L. Ah, oh, I up again. <laughs> <laughs> what do we uh, talk about?
0: Shit. Malls.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we talk about all kinds of stuff. What do we talk about? Malls.
0: TV. We talk about <laughs> Muppets.
3: And shit. Every time Naomi talks, Charlie cracks up and <laughs> blows our take.
2: <laughs> she says,
3: I, stole her, <laughs> I stole her thing. I know. Why did you <laughs> steal her thing? Because it was funny. <laughs> Let's try again. Do it again. We do talk about <laughs> shit sometimes. Lots of poop. Yep. You got to be ready for some shit talk. <laughs> yeah. Where can you hear this? On the bus. Spot- <laughs> on Spotify. <laughs> iTunes. Stitcher. <laughs> Charlie,
2: I quit. (laughs) I thought of that one a couple of days ago. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: yeah. So, why don't you listen with us every Tuesday? Uh, you. Yeah. Shit. How do we end it? (laughs) Just like
0: this.
3: (laughs) (laughs) This There's probably enough in there.
0: A lot of stuff
3: give or it. take Get one solid take out of those ten takes Yeah well, Or like I'll headache. just like record a different thing Well I was going to say <laughs> yeah.
2: just give up
3: That'll be your job to edit we'll take a something. Swing at it again next week if we don't like it That's L2L every Tuesday morning
2: First I got Pinky Then I got Pinky I got Pinky and Patty in the same week
3: What Vanessa catch something?
2: Teeny Beanie Baby-itis.
3: Now at McDonald's, your kids can get Teeny Beanie Babies in a Happy Meal. Real Thai Beanie Babies in a mini size. To toss,
1: tuck, or just plain love. Ones in each $1.99 hamburger Happy Meal you buy your kids.
3: This uh, Teeny Beanie Baby-itis, will she outgrow it? Not
2: necessarily.
3: (laughs) McDonald's also has extra value meals starting at $2.99. After all, we care about big kids, too.
0: We've answered a lot of questions I had about songwriting. Oh, oh,
1: I I was just going to... Reiter- not reiterate, but like just to add something to the fact that when I got over the hump with Jim Balance, um, I, I used to do these demos with Jonathan Kane from Journey. Um, my manager, Herbie Herbert. Um, let me just go back in time a little bit. When Billy and I hooked up, Billy goes, do you have any management? And I go, yeah, Herbie Herbert from Journey. And he goes, oh... Well, this is a coup, you know what a, and Kevin Elson, who produces journey uh, you know uh, eventually maybe he'll do our uh, our first record and Billy was like, oh man, I got three three for the price of one you know <laughs> so um, so so I you know I, I wrote songs with Neil Sean, and I did, used to do demos for Jonathan Kane for next to nothing thanks a lot, Jonathan. Uh, <laughs> because he, he lived pretty close and we just did our demos and we played a couple gigs together here and there, like acoustic stuff. And, um, Jonathan introduced me to this guy, Andre Pessis, who he and I, he, Andre and, and Jonathan were writing back in the, uh, in the late eighties a lot. And I totally clicked with Andre. And, and then that was the new collaboration. Eh? I guess, I mean, he still worked with Jonathan a little bit and worked with a couple other people, but him and I just clicked so well that we uh, we wrote the majority of stuff that, that was on Lean Into It. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of greats. I mean, we didn't write to we wrote Just Take My Heart, um, mm-hmm. and we we've written hundreds of songs for Mr. Big, but and he is my partner now. So have I? I've written with other people, but. I don't like to. <laughs> that's <laughs> kind of stupid. I, no, no it's I don't, not. Really don't like to. I, that's like way too revealing. Um, I love I love hanging out with new people, and I do. I I have written with some guitar players, and here and there, um, and I I do like writing songs with other people, but it it's hard because it's like a blind date, and I hate that feeling it's of getting you know the orientation of first day in school, you know. <laughs> So, but on, Andre's my my, um, my collaborator in my in a way, kind of my muse as well. Got he He's just
0: the guy you can walk into the room with and be at ease and get ready to write.
1: Oh, we're like two old guys coming to this. He has this uh, I mean, we're old guys now, but he has this um, really cool house in uh, Marin County. It kind of is like the Swiss family Robinson Tree house uh, place. <laughs> And then there's a little recording studio off to the side where he calls the platinum mines. I mean, the guy's written a lot of great songs for other people as well. I mean, he wrote he wrote a song called Walking on a Thin Line that was on Huey Lewis and the news sports that sold 25 million records. Um, he's written for Tim McGraw, a lot of a lot of country artists, a band called Southern Pacific with a bunch of great uh oh. Time's up, I guess we have to do stop doing an interview, or oh. my- or my dryer is done.
0: your clothes are dry, man. that's it <laughs>
1: my good clothes exactly um, <laughs> that's hilarious I hope it I hope it goes off again just so we can you know, come up with something else funny but um uh, but yeah, he's written a lot of songs platinum mines, that's what I'm saying, and um. But we're like two old guys that we come into the room and we just make like he just tells the stupidest jokes, corny jokes, we read the newspaper, we just sit around and uh, shoot the shit for about an hour or two, drink tons of coffee, and then all of a sudden, hey, did you hear did you watch the movie or did you read that book? did you hey i I, I listened to this podcast last night, and they said something, boom, and we can write a song. And we'll sometimes we'll take a couple days on it, but we we've written records in, in weeks. We're just that good. You know? we're just that comfortable with each other. You know?
0: Yeah, that's a great relationship to have. <laughs> that's yeah. your uh, Lennon McCartney relationship right there. That's good.
1: It is, yeah. Without all the drama. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I guess maybe that's what happens when you're in the band with the writer. Hey,
1: it is when I mean we, we, in a band it's different. I mean, if if everybody's collaborating, then there's no pro- you know on the business side of songwriting, which I hate to do. But um, if everybody's collaborating, then everybody gets a piece, right? A- a- actually, that's not true. And I know this is a podcast, so I gotta make I gotta I gotta make sure I'm I'm saying this correctly. In when we're in a band. That's what we do. We collaborate, and uh, you know, we rate, write songs together. But we also say if so- somebody brings a song, in, like Paul brings in "Green Tinted Sixties Mind," which is pretty much pretty much done. You know, I added a couple little melodies, but nothing, But that was my job. You know, I'm the singer of the band. I'm not. He, he brought it in. I'm not trying to take his song away from him, or yeah, like, or, or you've
0: or, got to sing that melody line, so.
1: Yeah, exactly. And those lyrics, I, I asked him, I go, can we change some stuff? And he goes, well, I really would like to keep it the way it is. I'm like, ah, it's your song. I'm in the band. I'm a singer. That's what I do. I'm not trying to steal percentage, you know. And um, and that's the problem sometimes in bands, you know, where like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of a sore subject. I'm not trying to, I, I like writing. I like the creativity part of it. I love collaborating with musicians, uh, and I and I like to make this. The song is the key, not just going to throw in like, oh, this solo would be great here, or oh, look, you know, I le- I've written something here that I think would be great because I think it's great. It, you know, it's basically you gotta consider the song, mm-hmm. and uh, and all the parts in the song. Not be uh, not try to get your two cents in per se. Anyway, sorry. I went, I went. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's something on it, my mind at the moment. <laughs> no, it's, it's all flowing. Like it's. I'm gonna say when I when you write, you have to remember that the, you're doing the service to the song, not yourself, right?
1: Yes, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, Thank you. you. You're, just,
0: <laughs> you're putting the song up as the most important part, and that's what gets a makes makes a good tune, I think. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, do you have? Um, any memories from touring that stand out like a strange gift you got from a fan or something amazing happening?
3: Oh was, my was God. You'll like, so
0: w- tell forever
1: this. Uh, you don't want to be on the phone. Uh, yeah, a lot of great tours. Um, every one of them's memorable. Um, nothing was a bad tour ever. Um, I, I mean the one that stands out is c- pretty funny. And and nobody knows the other part of the story. They they just heard maybe the, the first part. So um, we were in Atlanta, Georgia, and we, we have a song called Daddy, Brother, Lover, Little Boy. Mm-hmm. And Paul Gilbert, the same guy who had Fringe on his guitar when I first met him, always thinks of these crazy <laughs> little things to do. Somebody asked him, you know, like, how fast can you play? And he was like, oh, man, I don't know how fast I can play. And he goes... And he, he drilled, no, he glued guitar picks at the end of a drill bit and then played the drill bit as fast as he could. And he said, this fast, you know, like that. That was that's his little quirky thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And he incorporated it in that song, Daddy Brother. And it, and then live Billy and Paul do this thing together. It's a total spinal tap and a novelty thing. But it, it was funny and it worked and it was it was. It was a really cool thing to do live. Anyway, we're in Atlanta, Georgia. I we're opening to uh, rush. I, I, oh Canada, boy, it's like a theme. Anyway. <laughs> um, so um Paul's up there and he and it's it's easily twenty, thirty thousand people in the stadium, arena. And uh, Paul's saluting the audience with the drill. Rare 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 ray. And he gets it too close to his hair and it ravels up in his in his long hair.
0: Oh no. Right.
1: Oh yeah, another spinal tap moment. And it ravels up and he and he's just and he's freaking out. And he you know, he's all six two or four or wherever, you know, this gigantic jack and the beanstalk is running around the stage going, uh, oh, what do I do? And the the road crew comes out and they're trying to, you know should we cut it? Don't cut my hair, you know. And um Billy comes out and he says, "You know, Paul, go behind my amp and deal with it. I'll do a a, a bass solo." And uh, Billy came out and wowed the crowd playing bass. You know, trying to got them from stop stop la- stopping laughing for for a minute. And so Billy started playing bass, and and then we had grease and butter and the brush. <laughs> band are out there and the crew and everybody's laughing at the hall and we're so we finally got the drill out and we you know hopefully saved face but it was in the papers the next day it was like <laughs> we, and so um, how
0: embarrassed was he
1: oh so embarrassed where so the next day what, what are those what are those signs with the circle and the line through it do you, you know what that's called
0: it's just like red and it's just like no
1: you basically, you know, like say if it's uh, machinery and they don't want you to touch it, and they put a line through it. It's like a sign. Yeah. Well, um, well, um, I think it was Alex that drew these signs and put them everywhere backstage, mm-hmm. and and it, it was a circle with a with a stick figure with a drill to his head and a line through it, right? And and then when the part came. Because we played the next night as well. The part came for Billy and Paul to pick up their drills for that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex and Getty, I don't think it was Neil. I think, you know, he's probably reading a book. Who knows, you know? And uh, well, actually, Neil was like, I, I think he told me, like, I'd like to be a part of it, but those guys are the silly ones, you know? Um, and they, they put electric mixers, electric toothbrush maybe even a vibrator out there instead of like the drill (laughs) and and, you know, water picks and all this stuff. It was just hilarious. So anyway, um, the, the second part of that story. So we, you know, we finished the tour and it was hilarious and we talked about it for a long time. So the next year we played in Atlanta at a small club, we were playing uh, headlining a show and Paul thought it would be a joke to come out because we hadn't played in Atlanta since that the infamous drill show. So Paul came out and he had a, a wig on, a long haired wig, and he'd go out and he'd salute the audience with the drill for Daddy Brother because I think it was our first song. And he he went rah, 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 and he got stuck in the in the wig. Right. And he was going to pull it off and everybody would laugh. Well, he's put the drill in the wig, but the but the wig got stuck in the hair. So it was like a whole new <laughs> Spinal Tap moment again. What an idiot. How did he
0: have his, was, he very, have his hair underneath there? Like, well, he, he his
1: hair he tucked his hair into the wig, and then he jammed this drill in, and the drill got stuck in the wig and in his hair.
2: <laughs>
1: so... Oh, my God. I mean, I've heard, I've heard <laughs> stories from people, you know, uh, falling off stage or getting too drunk to play. But, yeah. Can you
0: imagine if we'd had cell phones back then? I mean, it would be on video for the world forever and ever immortalized.
1: Oh, oh I know. It, 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 I know it's just a story. <laughs> I know. It, it, that, if that's the way it was, man, we would be, uh, God, what would happen to us? Poor. I mean, look, Kip Winger persevered from his, you know, Beavis and Butthead days, you know, I mean, winter is a fantastic band and Kip has been a, a phenomenal musician, but somehow he, you know, he got through it. I, I'm, sh- it's not that I'm sure, I, I know for a fact, I mean, he was pretty broken up about that for a long, long time, but, oh, God, what do you think that would do to our career with uh, the drill and the hair kind of thing? We would have laughing stock.
0: No such thing as bad press. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I I wouldn't gamble on it, but... You never know.
0: Um, I just watched a Japanese YouTube video in which you and Debbie Gibson are on a show. And I think the show was called Mr. and Mrs. Vocalists. Oh, man,
1: this is the part where I need that dryer to go off right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's something about Japan. I am absolutely fascinated with Japan and I know you guys have spent a lot of time there. First of all, when they...
1: When... Um, had to be about maybe less than 10 years ago Um, Sony Records approached me to doing a project where I would sing um, songs that were made famous by uh, female artists Uh, million sellers Japanese singers and there were were, man I don't know if you heard Japanese pop or Japanese rock music but it's really really good I mean, yes. a, a lot of lyrics, a lot of, cha- a lot of, there's like five different lyrics and choruses, but you don't know that because it's in <laughs> Japanese, right? right. But mus- musically, it's, it's beautiful and some much innovative stuff. Anyway, so, um, and I used to listen to this stuff on the radio all the time when I, I do promo- promotion with Mr. Big when I go to Japan, you know, twice a year <laughs> since the 89, anyway.
0: Second home
1: second home exactly and and it's a wonderful country so um i, I said okay all right i'm all right I'll, I'll I'll sing it and they go yeah but we want you to uh you and your partner Andre to take the synopsis of the lyrics and write your own lyrics to it you know the stories of the of the stories that are on the record and they also got some uh uh Japanese English Japanese teachers to do it and everything's Anyway, the first album wasn't that bad uh, That but the second and third album, me and Andre worked our asses off on it But there was three albums and they sold The first album sold 300,000 copies and I and I and Granted when they told me the name's gonna be mr. Vocalist. I went uh, really? <laughs> I really? I didn't want to do it. It was like uh, that's a little uh, I don't know what I was thinking of it. it. Just I felt like, oh god, people are gonna think a conceited jerk or something. But um it's a little obtrusive, but um but then I did the record, it was great for for Japanese. Three hundred thousand records, I'm like, I'm in, I'm Mr. Vocalist. You know. <laughs> hey hey, Mr. Vocalist, coming through, people. Anyway. Um so I did the three and I did a Christmas album and I think I did a rock album that we're uh, male stars. I mean, it was great, lucrative. I mean, look, uh, you know, I flew to Japan. Um, they dressed me up in all these, you know, suits and Armani clothes and you know, Jones from New York type stuff. Hair, makeup, videos. You know, it was kind of funny because I'm known as, you know, the lead singer of Mr. Big, but then I was, I was like this pop star kind of guy mm-hmm. and it was kind of fun to pretend and make a lot of money <laughs> and that's
0: what and, I love about the Japanese shows are just over the top and that's so
1: oh, much fun oh i did so many television shows where i'm wearing a fat suit and or i'm uh you know uh sliding down a slide with uh, chocolate pudding and uh you know and there's naked people in the room naked girls it was the weirdest <laughs> the weirdest shows ever where i'm on this other show I remember, I think it was with Mr. Big and it was Mr. Big and it was like a sumo wrestler and his name was Mr. Big and we were shooting frozen peas at our nose, shooting targets. I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, the, and that's a variety show and people pay to see that shit. Anyway, uh, getting back to, uh, so Debbie, which is so funny because I was just looking at these pictures recently uh-oh, it's my big break in show business. <laughs> it's another, it's a journalist photographer named John Harrell from Burn Magazine. Hold on for a minute. I...
0: Yeah, I can wait.
1: All right. Hey, John. Yeah. Hey, I'm doing an interview right now. And okay. I'm, I'm going to call you back. Okay, how long? No, no. I'm gonna, uh, oh, how, uh, how long is this going to be about Naomi?
0: Um, I can wrap it up in like 20 minutes or so. Whatever's better for you.
1: Okay, sounds you good. Got, you got three minutes. Hey, no, I'm hey, 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 oh, I'm that's kidding. that's really nice to do to a fellow journalist. You jackass. <laughs> Later. All right, all right. So, uh, <laughs> I hope you put that on the podcast. Oh, this uh, Oh, you got to remember that John Harrell. He's mm-hmm. he's the one who, um, he's taken hundreds and hundreds of photos. You, you know the, um, okay. You know the magazine Burn Magazine from Japan? It's like B U R R N apostrophe. Um, okay. It's a famous heavy metal. It's the famous like, heavy metal magazine.
0: Is that like Japanese Kerrang?
1: Yeah, exactly. A lot, tons of pictures, but John takes all the uh, covers. I mean, Metallica, yeah. um, Mr. Big, Richie, a lot of Richie Blackmore, um, like every band that you could think um uh, Not every band that you could think, think of, just the ones that are big in Japan, you know? But, um, Mm -hmm. Aerosmith, you know, he, and he shot a a lot of, um, inside stuff, inside, um, jackets for Mr. Big and as well as a bunch of bands, but his like, his main band is Motley Crue, I think. And, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Motley Crue and Ozzy Osbourne, but he's, he's a pushy bastard (laughs) 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 and his, you can, you could just wait for your interview. But anyway, um. So um, so, Debbie. I was just looking at these pictures of her and I at like some couple restaurants having a couple drinks. Really, really cool lady. I I liked her a lot, and um, uh, and they they go, yeah, we want to do a, a like a king and queen pop album. And want a Mr. Vocalist and Miss Miss Vocalist, I think. And I'm like, yeah. uh, okay, Debbie Gibson. And And granted, she's probably looking at me going, "What am I singing with this heavy metal and I'm obviously, I'm not heavy metal, but like in her mind, you know, and uh,
0: before she'd actually heard you sing.
1: I don't think she heard me. I think she might have heard to be with you a lot of yeah. a lot of people that pop stars you know, they go, "Oh, I like your little song to be with you, and they don't know your history or what you've done. You yeah, know?
2: yeah. It, it,
1: it's kind of cute anyway,, um, but when we worked together i mean it was you know she she got she got look she was really really cool but she got a little schooling a little bit you know going, oh wow you're big in japan you think anyway <laughs> so, you know i'm am not big, i'm just being a little cocky right now but she was really nice i really liked her a lot and we did do a duet together and i don't remember the song and it was uh, it was okay you know i, I didn't I thought. I don't know what she thought, but I I thought I didn't mind singing with her. I didn't I I. I didn't mind it at all. I mean, I thought it was. If it was in the United States, I'd be like, really. But in Japan, it totally works. I yeah. mean, Mr. Vocalist works. Um, but uh, I thought I, something- I thought we were beating a dead dead horse a little bit with a Mr. Vocalist, Miss Vocalist, you know. Mr. Vocalist, son of Mr. Vocalist. I don't know, I don't know what, what it could have done. But um, I think after there's that. There's something yeah. amazing
0: about Japan, though, where it's like people appreciate more. I guess, you know, like. Well,
1: they, the audience can't get enough of, of, of the music. When they lock in, they don't like everybody. Trust me, there's a lot mm-hmm. of bands who come to Japan and for some reason, they don't come back financially, or the band breaks up, or whatever. They don't come back, and and it, it's almost like you have to campaign. Back in 1989, when Billy first went over there to do some clinics and talk about Mr. Big, um, we were in Japan promoting way before any record uh, came out, and we c- continue to do that. I mean, we went we went to Japan first, promoted it. For, for weeks and weeks and weeks, came home, then went back, promoted it some more, and then played shows. And then came back and came back like I'm telling you, like twice a year for since nineteen eighty nine. And campaign mm-hmm. and campaign. And like not everybody did that. Everybody just kinda like, Oh man, they treat you like the Beatles. But you don't have to do but, and you don't have to do anything. Well yeah you do. Yeah. 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 And I I've, think the audience, it, I mean, just to reiterate what you just said, the audience does appreciate that. Um, when you get these letters and they go, you're my treasure and your your music is, is you know. Uh, I mean, a lot of people have said that to me over the years where your music is and lyrics have touched to me and everything. But, you know, Japan was the, the every letter is like that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy, but.
0: Well, you see, you see videos of the fans and the arenas and just like crying and the excitement and, you know. Oh, yeah. And, and
1: they love you know. rock and roll.
0: Yeah. They Naomi. They feel it.
1: <laughs> you, they do. They love rock and roll. They love that energy. of their, And there's that Japan out of any place. Uh, I mean, I, Germany loves their metal. And, um, you know, South America loves the rock and roll as well. Um, and USA, you know, we're kind of, we're dictated by radio. Yeah. You know, yeah. we we didn't used to be. There's, you know, I used to say that, um, you know, out of every other home, there'd be like a closet full of, you know, black t-shirts that say Van Halen and ACDC on it, collecting mm-hmm. dust, you know, there, people are still, they still love rock and roll, but there's something about... Uh, these countries like South America, continents, whatever, um, Japan, South America, and and good parts of Europe still are carrying the torch for rock and roll.
3: Yeah, and they're Canada. still actively buying, yeah,
0: buying the new music, right? Yeah. What about Canada? Canada is a lot like the U.S. Um, I think that, and also Canada has its own homegrown system that's built in where, um our radio is regulated that it, it has to play a certain amount of Canadian content on the air. Mm-hmm. So it's, it almost creates um it's supposed to be an incubator for our artists to be successful elsewhere. But mm-hmm. that could be, that can be looked at in two ways. It could be looked at as breeding mediocrity mm-hmm. or, or it actually is helpful for people who deserve the boost. Right. I so, think it's,
1: like, I, I, you had me there that, you know, there's the thing about the uh, playing Canadian music in Canada. I mean, and or new stuff as well. I, I but I, I was also I was talking about do Canadians still love their crunch guitar?
0: Yes, but I think it's just the same as America, where it's not it's not big. It's not like what's on the radio. Right. What's, what's oh, yeah. on the radio is pretty much what you, is on your radio. I mean, mm-hmm. we have a few Canadians. Obviously, we've sent down there to uh, <laughs> to infiltrate the airwaves. But I mean, yeah, um, rock shows here are still successful. Like, I can go and see all kinds of bands at the casinos, and maybe not so many arena tours, but I get to see okay. like Sebastian Bach probably twice a year at a casino.
1: Oh, right on. So,
0: yeah, it's still alive, and these these shows still sell out. Whew, good. yes so hopefully one day we can see you here too
1: yeah you know i i'm the side kind of gig i have um you know if i'm not playing with mr big or doing i do a lot of acoustic shows in europe
0: is that under the uh the eric martin band it's
1: it's just it's it's either Eric Martin or Eric Martin Band or what other name I could, Eric and the Rivals, Eric and the Road Vultures. It's it's whatever. It's but it's still it playing. Um, I'll play, like I'm I'm going to South America in um, what is this is March. So at the end of uh, May, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I've got like five electric shows. And I'll basically what I do is the promoter will turn me on to some musicians and they'll, they'll play together in a room of my, of my songs, you know, solo stuff, a lot of Mr. Big songs, one new or two, maybe two new ones. And then they'll send the tapes back. And then I'll kind of talk to a promoter and say, okay, you know, I don't think the bass player is, uh, he needs to be a little bit more. He, he does. Everybody wants to be Billy Sheehan. Don't be Billy Sheehan. Just play, you know, just just play the four on the floor lick for the good of the song. Don't try to be Mr. Big, you know, just, I know everybody wants to be, but you just can't, you know, yeah. <laughs> so just no, no just way around. You. Yeah. Just be you. I, I'd rather like, even when I play acoustic and I play those Mr. Big songs and I, I have an, uh, an sometimes I have another acoustic guitar player and a bass player, and a drummer. And it, we, Play it almost like, say, the Black Crows would play Mr. Big. It's kind of country country rock soul or something, you know? Not trying to be uh, Mr. Big. I'm just playing the songs that I wrote. But um, So I'm doing the South America electric thing, and then, then I have five gigs that are playing acoustic. And I'll work with other musicians, and and I have an acoustic guitar player down there that I work with as well. And I have the same kind of... I'll have a band in Europe... I had a band in Italy, I had a band in Nor- Norway, I had a band, a um, couple players, I just got back from the Czech Republic about a month ago. It, it's that kind of thing. It's like Chuck Berry, you know, like the stories of Chuck Berry, where he coming in with his little briefcase and get up there on stage and some band would just know, all right, Lucille and A, let's go. And that that's how it is.
0: And yeah. it works out great.
1: Oh, it's it's so much fun, um, but um, I have this side, uh, I have this other side gig. It's there's this guy named Tobias Sammet, and he created this rock opera. There's no uh, narration, or it's not like Trans Siberian Orchestra. It is that there's a lot of people on stage, but and there's no Christmas music, but it's it's that it, it's that big and it's called Avantasia, and they're headliners, man. I mean, I never knew anything about the metal world, but I'm knee-deep in it, and I have been for the last six years. We're playing with Maiden and Megadeth and Ghost and uh, Testament, and we are just, you know, we do these huge festivals and tons of gigs, and I think we did play recently a couple shows in canada i know we did i, I, I don't you know I was how I, out
0: east probably
1: yeah it, i'm sorry montreal,
0: maybe out east maybe like montreal or we have like played
1: montreal there. and we have played quebec um we have played toronto you yeah i mean if you could do me a favor and look it up um oh yeah it, it, avantage it's it's a great band it's um so it's a german power metal band uh that consists of you know, five to uh, sometimes seven singers from around the world. And it's mainly Europeans. And Tobias Samet is the main guy. He's the c- creator, the puppet master. And he's the leader. It's all his songs. Very like heaven and hell kind of um, mm-hmm. concept. Um, and, uh, uh, and it's this guy named like Ronnie Atkins is a lead singer, a good friend of mine from a band called Pretty Maids. Killer, killer music, um, killer. I'm so. <laughs> these are my adjectives, man. I'm like I'm so <laughs> in the late '80s. Killer, boss. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, so um, Ronnie Atkins, uh, Bob Catley, who is in a band called Magnum, has been around for like 40 years, uh, and a bunch of other great players, and the and the two <laughs> Americans that are in the band. Uh, are, um, me and, uh, Jeff Tate from Queensrick. Oh,
0: Jeff Tate. Uh, Jeff yeah. a, here's a name I know. I was like, that's, that's a- giving me something new to listen to. So thank you.
1: <laughs> oh, you got, you got to check it out. We, yeah. And if you listen to it live, I mean, you can listen to a record. So I'm, um, I'm on a couple records and Jeff's on maybe one or two, but live, um, there's a song called "Twisted Mind," and it's it's one of their bigger tunes. Big, it's it's kind of heavy metal. And uh, Ronnie Atkins and I used to do a duet. And then Ronnie, there's it's 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 shifting players all the time and shifting and nobody gets the same song. Like every couple of years, they switch it around. So and there's new, like this new album's called Moon Glow. And, uh, oh, my God, I shouldn't even tell you this. I know people are going to like, this is my drill moment, but it turned out pretty good. Um uh I, I was waiting for Tobias to write me a some great song to, to sing. And he goes, man, I've been loving this pop song lately. And it's totally it's not nothing to do with our sound or, or anything, but. He goes. I just love this song, and I and I know we can like dirty it up a little bit and give put some distortion on it. But I think you ought to do Maniac. And I'm like,
0: he's a maniac. That one.
1: Yep. And I go. <laughs> uh. I go what? I go what the what? Come again? What? And he goes. Yeah. He goes. I just love it. And the and my, our, the crowds will love it. And I go. I go. Look, man. We headline Wacken, Germany, which is like ninety thousand metalheads. I go yeah, yeah. you want me to get killed? <laughs> uh, and he goes no no trust me it's going to be great and we've already done a 60 to 70 show tour already we've done it we did it uh all last year and then we played a few shows in January and then we're going to do some more in in uh, June including Vakin again. And so I've I've already done like like I said 65 shows singing Twisted Mind and singing. Uh, I, have a, I have like about four or five songs I sing, and each guy gets four or five songs. It's a three-hour show, but I've already done Maniac, and I'm 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 alive and well. I'm okay. I, yeah, nothing yeah. nothing bad happened. And the and the first one to come out, Tob- Tobias would say, he goes, "This is the only guy that could do the song." <laughs> And I come out and I sing it, and I go. I'm the only one balls enough to do this song. I go, I go. Hear me out, and then I sing the song, and you see people to ten thousand to fifty to ninety thousand people with a big laugh on their smile on their face, and then they're all all of a sudden fist fist bumps. Now, granted, granted, if I told the same story to James Hetfield, he'd probably punch me in the face. But um, mm-hmm. it 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 was. That was one of my biggest fear factors right there. I, I was oh I was, oh God, kill me. Every time I'd put the my in-ears in and I'd run out on stage and it'd be like ding, da, ding, 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 you know, <laughs> she's maniac. And uh, I mean it, they play it kind of heavy metal, but it's still maniac for God's sake. But it's it went over song. it was Bye. fine. Bye.
0: But to oh, entertain oh, them.
1: But here's the thing I wanna say that so me and Ronnie Atkins sang Twisted Metal. But if you look, live, look on the last two thousand nineteen tour, me and Jeff Tate sing uh, a duet on "Twisted me- Twisted Mind." Yeah, and you got to check it out. It's really, really good. I'm and I, and there's there's a live version of me doing it on uh, one of the Avantasia records. They like a double album. If you want to play it on the podcast, it's 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 heavy. It's a, one of the heaviest songs they've ever done.
0: We're definitely going to add that to the show for sure. I'm excited to hear it.
1: Oh, it's, it's like, go, go, It's very, like, old school metal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, oh, God, singing in front of... I've I played so many shows with these guys. I mean, like, I'm telling you, the six years, and they've headlined all these fests, Sweden Rock, Hellfest, Vakken I mean, I, Mr. Big... We did Wacken, 2018, and we were loving it. We played in front of 20,000 people, which is still 20,000 people. But I'm telling these guys right before we're, you know, driving to that part of Germany, guys, it's going to be 90,000 people. (laughs) (laughs) Because for the last three years in a row, I've done Wacken with Aventasia. And Billy goes, well, there's not 90,000 people. I go ahead. 20? 20 is good, you know. Anyway, it's kind of, but yeah, I love playing with these guys.
0: I Googled Aventasia with Jeff Tate and Eric Martin doing Twisted Mind in 2019, and I tried to find a good clip. I checked on Spotify and everything, but I couldn't find a clip that was an actual studio recording, like a, like a live professional off-the-floor recording. All I could find was some uh, fan YouTube videos. So... I'm going to recommend that you guys definitely look it up on YouTube. Um, I just didn't add it to the podcast because the qual- sound quality was a little rough on some of the videos. But check out Avantasia with Jeff Tate and Eric Martin. And the song is called Twisted Mind. How's your time frame looking?
1: Oh, with the John Harrell. He, let him eat cake, man. I've already done it. <laughs> I've already done the interview. He just wants to ask me some follow-up questions. Oh, We've done so much. many interviews talking about Mr. Big that you would think that he would just go into his file and and go okay your favorite color is green i mean yeah. come on yeah. yeah come on for god's sake i'm I'm doing a new interview
0: <laughs> oh and here's one thing i wanted to talk about uh, i gotta give some background on this i'd say about 10 years ago i'm going through my old cassette tapes when i used to make mixtapes off the radio
1: this is this is part where i'm bill clinton i go i never had sex with that woman <laughs>
0: i uh so I'm listening to them and I'm, and I'm letting them play and this corn pops commercial comes on. Oh, corn and, nuts, baby! Oh, corn nuts, my friend. Sorry, corn nuts. Yeah. And and I'm like I'm that voice. I know that voice. So I'm okay. thinking. When I'm I'm thinking, so I get on the uh, the internet and I Google your website and I write you an email and I'm like, can you tell me if that? I'm just. This is a long shot, but is that you singing on that corn nuts commercial? And you wrote me back and you told me all about it. So I was always so grateful that you answered that question for me. (laughs) Mm. I, uh, yeah, I used to
1: do, um, jingles. A lot of people did back in the day. Um, and then how I first got into it, this is another really weird, uh, pairing, but my publishing company, um, Put me in touch with a uh, uh, another singer songwriter, and this is be- way before he even he was a, he was a rock singer back in the day. But this is way before he became like you know the um, w- what he became. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Michael Bolton uh, and Michael Bolton and I we we wrote songs together. Not not nothing ever came to fruition. I mean, not, I mean there was a couple little sniglets here and there. And I actually, on one of his, I think an album, I don't, I don't remember what it was called, maybe Fool's game. I don't know, it was one of his first rock albums, and he had a song called "Can't Hold On, Can't Let Go." And I loved this guy's vibe a like, he was a rock singer, but he had uh, soul sister singers behind him. And it just it had a really, it had the kind of vibe that I, that I really wanted. He already had it, but I, you know, I wanted to steal it, you know, and I, and I did his song, but at the time, uh, Michael had a, uh, he, he was doing the Budweiser commercials. Ah, like, ah. like he was like, I'm a Bud man, something like that. Nice, and, nice. I, and I go, oh man, I want to get involved in this. And he goes, yeah, you should. I'll put you in touch with people. And, and so, uh, through him and through a couple other people, I did, um, Lone Star Beer, something National Beef Council. <laughs> I only did a few, you know, that, that that I can remember. I think I even have a reel to reel of me, you know, you know. One day I'll do jingles or for for a living, and a lot of people do, and they and a lot of rockers have done it. So anyway, yeah, I, I um, and I think I did like Milk Does a Body Good or one of those. I did a Mattel's commercial like. Tonka Toys, whatever, and then I did that Corn Nuts, and yeah, um, yeah. it was silly. I went in, and it was like, there's a the guy who writes, he wrote it, and produces it, and he goes, hey, Kay, this is what you want to sound, and I'm like, you have a gig, you know, giggly kind of voice, and i was like, a Corn Nut is a kernel with a crazy crunch, you can crunch nacho or barbecue. Crunch Pecani, it's up to you. <laughs> a, a corn nut is a kernel with a crazy crunch. And then I had some sinister Vincent Bryce laugh after all of it. <laughs> and um, I was in Portland, Oregon, doing a promotion with a friend of mine, Bill Prescott, who was a DJ. Mm-hmm. And I'm we're doing this interview, and he goes, "Okay, we'll, we'll be right back with Eric Martin from Mr. Big." Uh, we're going to cut to a commercial. We'll be right back. And they cut to a commercial, and it's that freaking Cornuts <laughs> commercial. And he just played.
0: Did he know? Well, we Did just.
1: Well, we just played um, uh, at the time. I think we just played like Big Love or one of the songs that were on that first album or, or right in the beginning of the second album, maybe Alive and Kicking. And. And then he's listening to the commercial, and we're talking over the commercial. And he goes, "Hold on for a minute. What is that? You?" And I go, "Yep, that's me. I'm everywhere. I'm all over the airwaves." Anyway, and anyway, it was hilarious. And and I think it was with Billy. And Billy's like, "Oh my god, you're a whore."
0: <laughs> that's a great story. I love hey, it. man, it, it was, it,
1: and it 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 put. Um, it put ramen on the table. That's all I got to say.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask you uh, for a deep cut, a Mr. Big Deep Cut, that is uh, oh, yeah. That is one of your favorites that you wish would have been a single.
1: On the Deep Cuts album? Is that what you're saying?
0: No, like any of your album tracks from oh, any yeah. of the we, albums. Well, I we, call them Deep Cuts usually.
1: Oh, yeah. okay. We had an album that was called Deep Cuts that had... Hey. Um, re recorded and you know, uh, added uh, strings and stuff like that to all of our tunes. It, it, and to be with you is on it, which was pretty much the same as it was, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, so the deep, <laughs> so this, um, I don't know, I mean, I've got so many, um, uh, I mean, I, I, I love to be with you. I love it. I, I, there's, I don't hate the song at all. I've sung it a, thousands of times. Every, every time I, there's times where I wake up at five o'clock in the morning and to do a radio station back in the day and go, oh God, please don't ask for that tune. You know, <laughs> it's a hard song to sing at five o'clock in the morning, but I, I love it. I love the simplicity of it. It's a true story. Um, I love the, I, I love the music. I love the. I love the modulation. Great harmonies, yeah. Beatlesque. Um, uh, but I would say, God, I kind of. Do I have? Can I name four? Maybe. Yes. Yes,
0: oh. you can.
1: Yes. Um, I like. I can't even remember what I wrote it about. It's such a weird song. Um, probably one of those, every, a, lot, a lot of songs of mine are like uh, self-help tunes or some satirical, lyrical content. There's a song called My New Religion um, that I wrote. I think it was on the Get Over It album with Richie. Um, Promise of the Moon, which is a ballad that I, I, I was hoping that the record company would... Uh, Picked that as a single, um, which I think it was on Bump Ahead, which is our third album. So we had To Be With You and Just Take My Heart, and they they climbed the charts. To Be With You was number one. Just Take My Heart went up to 16. It was it was still on the charts when we were doing Bump Ahead, and the record company goes, and they didn't ask me to write any. You know, we need a hit. It wasn't anything like that in the beginning. And I just wrote that Promise of the Moon song, and, and everybody loved it. And I go, yeah, we were going to release this as a single, and then the record company came, give me that next to be with you. I was like, wow. what? Yeah, it's, as they do. And that's when uh, I was. We already finished the record, and it was everything was f- super frustrating. And um, that's when Paul goes, <coughs> oh, do you hear that? An, an angel got its wings. Uh, I don't know if you heard that or not. It's a ding. Somebody's I did. messaging. I did. My kids. Um, but that's when we came up with Wild World and that was the single and it was a great song and it was a I really like what we did with it and I, and it's another fun song to sing live but I I really loved Promise of the Moon. I love the lyrics and and another true story and another really good uh, melody. Um, Rocker-wise, I think Daddy Brothers, I love it. I don't know, there's just so many. I mean, I, I know you're going to name a song and I go, oh, I love that one. I'm going you know? to. I'm or going or to. you're going to name a song and I go, I hate that one.
0: And if you do, say so. <laughs> the ones that spoke to me, songs I was listening to that I wish I'd wrote, kind of feeling I had was songs like Where Are They Now.
1: Ah, oh, dude, I thought you were going to... Okay, so on that album... That i was telling about you you said you'd like to call it deep cuts but i i had a record mm-hmm, mr mm-hmm. Big Rick, deep cuts
0: that's where uh, i discovered that song
1: yeah i was gonna say that right off the bat <laughs> uh,
0: that were you gonna say that song in particular
1: exactly that same song because nice. in so, uh, i told you that i was gonna um i'm doing this tour in south america and i gave a bunch of songs to the uh oh god where is it i don't i don't want to take take me forever doing this but i gave a list of songs to the to the musicians to play and uh uh big love green shit 60s mind live and Kickin', daddy brother promise of the moon um take cover super fantastic dance with my devil shine undertow gotta love the ride uh Everybody needs a little trouble to find gravity from the new album. And then in quotations, just this is the one that I need to have happen. Where are they now? Wow. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah no, that song grabbed me.
1: I, oh, it's, it's
0: in my rotation now.
1: Oh, <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I love that song. It's it's it's. Uh, what was it? Cowboys and kings and flying aces. Somehow save the day. It was a song like a, a capturing your youth, you know. Um, God, it's like cowboys and kings and flying aces. Somehow save the day. Uh, stealing kisses with a princess in the palace. My Alice through the looking glass. I know I'm screwing up the lyrics here, and like first and second verse. But I loved all the imagery of um, all the people. That I know, that I knew when I was a kid, that actually turned out to be me now. It's a, such a, it was, I was going to say, fascinating story, but it's a really good lyric, really good story, yeah. and and the music, another great, the
0: music's modulation
1: great modulation right? too, similar,
0: yeah. not, not some love songs it, that modulate. Oh, me and, too. And it's not done anymore, not very often.
1: Well, not I like. Songs? I like to go somewhere instead of playing the same lick over and over again. I like it, like it, to, if you're going to, you know, where, where do you go? Are you, do you end the song or do you, if you still want to, you still have uh, a story to tell Yeah, I like to uh, yeah, play yeah. something else, you know, some modulation is just a great idea.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's, it's part of the journey of the song. I really enjoy when that goes that, to that place.
3: Inside my mirror a Boy I used to know shining eyes that see right through my window. So cowboys and kings and flying aces. Some somehow say. Uh-huh. Stealing kisses from the princess in the palace My eyes are through the looking glass Is there really anything that lasts? Makes me wonder if time is a bullet Cause everything is happening
0: Yeah, I was going to name a
1: couple more tunes that I really did. Oh, man, you had me. I, I, <laughs> when you said Deep Cuts, and that's what you call it, and I said we had an album called Deep Cuts, where that are they now? Na- that
0: all coincidental to me, I figured.
1: Oh, it was the tip of my tongue. I, I was totally going to go there. That's why That's why you kind of threw me th- for a loop, because there's so many other songs, but I love that too. And I remember when I uh, I was at Mates, and I brought it into the guys, and they were like, I think it was like, oh, this is this the new music? I go, no, it's still rock and roll. It's just, it's just <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> Eric. You know, we're, we're a classic rock and roll derivative tape band, you know. I know I, nobody said that. I think everybody loved the tune, but they did go, is this the new music?
0: are <laughs> <laughs> you know. so, yeah. yeah. um, Go and Where the Wind Blows from the album Hey Man.
1: Oh, my It's my go-to uh, when I play acoustic.
0: I love that. Oh, love it's...
1: That. Oh, God. Let me just... Let me just grab my guitar. <laughs> uh, Naomi, I know this is a podcast, but then this that feels is. like a therapy session, but... For me. Yeah, this lick like yeah i should stumble on my yeah i love that song um oh. and a great lyric uh, i i okay when i say great lyric it's great to me i'm not saying like you know the long and winding road and guns going where the wind blows but uh <laughs> it's it's a great lyric to me um about uh you know a lot of um, autobiographical. Autobiogra- uh, That's a hard word to say, by the way. Auto- autobiographical, right? Yeah. Um, you know, when when I was younger, just waiting for the phone to ring, or uh, you know, going, oh, sh- I, I'm good, but I'm I'm probably not as good as uh, any of those artists out there. I used to weird me out when I would used to go to Tower Records and look at all the, God, all these thousands of artists I'm gonna get lost in the shuffle. Maybe I should just sit on the couch and watch TV and go to school and get a nine-to-five job and that's when it was probably a bad idea, but this is the 70s but that's when I just stuck my thumb out and just said, you know, son you're going to San Francisco and you're not looking back and you know, it's it's a l- 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 lyrically it's a lot more deeper than that, but that was the uh, the blueprint of it. It, it. That song is so near and dear to me. Another another great song that Andre and I wrote together. And when I first when I played it for the guys, it was it was a different version. It was it was it was, it was more like. Almost like uh, m- m- kind of Brian Adams would do it, like almost yeah. rock and roll a little bit. And then Kevin Elson, our producer, who like I talked about earlier, who did all the Journey records, he goes, and he, none of the band they went like, eh, it's okay. We don't, we don't really like it. And I think I even had the lyric. Oh no, no, this is what happened. So they didn't like the lyric either. And they didn't like the, um, they they thought it was too poppy. And so Kevin goes, look, it's a great song. Go back to the drawing board. Why don't you turn it into a ballad? And I was like, what? <laughs> no way. You know, I'm, like, I'm, that, I'm a writer and whatever. I went back to the drawing board, did turn it into a ballad, almost like a Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young kind of song, or that vibe. And... Andre and I tried to uh, rewrite the lyrics, and I think it was like, uh, oh, it was so stupid. It was like black and white rainbows, or we we were trying to get all psychedelic, and then and then we just went, oh, we didn't say fuck those guys. We just said, I think we just said, no, we're we're sticking t- uh, true to what we believe in, and um, we just stayed with it. And when it was a ballad. Everybody loved it. And I and I didn't even question the lyrics. I, I looked at Kevin, I go, do, th- do you think they like the lyrics? And Kevin he goes, I don't think they even care at this point. I think I think they really like the, the the beautifulness of the song now. It's 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 really pretty as a ballad. So there you go.
3: Right here, and the world just passes by Where are the signs to help me get
0: Song I'm going to throw at you is called Nothing at All from the album Defying Gravity. You're kidding. I
2: love it. The, oh, man, you're kidding.
0: It's, it's okay. got, sex, got the sexy, dirty groove to it and a really cool uh, melody line structure and chord structure.
1: You're freaking it. kidding me. That was the one I wasn't good. Okay, I wrote it. I, I wrote it, and I was going to say that was the one I was going to hate. Right. Okay.
0: <laughs> There has to be, you you thought I'd pick one that was going to be like, nope, no good.
1: Yeah, it was like. Right? Yeah. And so quirky lyrics. um, It was like, uh, tell me what it is, what you want, what you really want now. Something like that. Right? A couple years ago, he goes, when you can't do it, when you're by yourself. Speak now, or forever, hold your peace now. So he was like.
0: Nice. Those verses are really raw, raw and like.
1: Yeah, and it goes, where do you stand with your feet? Yeah, it was cool. Um, I had that song for a long time, a long time. It was one of those ones that I kept going, hey, what about this one? Nah, doesn't kill me. <laughs> You know, for years. And I know, I know. And I go, oh, well, what, listen to this. What about this part? You're, you're going to like. I go, do you like that? Eh, it doesn't kill me. I used to hear that a lot. And uh, and then that Defying Gravity album came out, or, or we were writing it, and <laughs> we had six days to come up with ten songs, because Kevin Elson had he only had a window of opportunity to do the record. Paul had some clinic things that he had to do or a tour, and I didn't want to do that. Define Gravity album, right? I did want to do it. I I had just written uh, a piece of music that Paul had. And I wrote some lyrics and melodies to it, called called. It was the title of the record, Define Gravity. Mm-hmm. And I was writing this other idea called um, Everybody Needs a Little Trouble. And then, uh, and then Kevin goes, "Okay, well, it's the fifth day, guys. Man, you need a couple more songs." And it, it's so frustrating doing that record, only having six to ten days to 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 basically. Submit songs or write songs and record them, put uh, put the music down and sing it, and sing harmonies on it. It was it was a bitch. Anyway, here I am again, knocking on the door. Hey, what about this one? You know, and they go, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so yeah, I don't I don't. It was okay. I I I really like the song. I like the funkiness of it, kind of, kind of, kind of living color, kind of sound to it. I didn't necessarily. I think what Paul did to it was good, but, but, uh, okay, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth because I, I, I think Mr. Big is great. Whatever they touch is pretty, pretty golden. I mean, they're great players, but all those other records we used to go into the. Uh, to the rehearsal studio or mates like i said and when we'd come up with a song we'd beat we we wouldn't beat it to death but we would we would make it as 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 good as it could be you know and and and, and record it. Uh, i mean play it so when we got into the studio it was just perfect for, for mm-hmm. us and we didn't have a chance to do that we just wrote it or we we brought a song in, and we all sat around the piano or s- sat around the thing, and just kind of hashed it out for about 30 minutes, recorded the song for about 30 minutes and then I w- and then I went into a different studio and sang it, and when I came out, they were already working on another song. It was kind of kind of uh, you know a cake factory a little bit on that record
0: it's not like and the ideal way to to put things together is it?
1: yeah it was it was it was really difficult i'm not trying to bring it down or there are a lot of people that there are you know like yourself they like you like 1992 and i can't believe you like this song you're the only one that likes this you're the only one that's ever brought this song up
0: i it i don't know i'm like listening to i had everything on your spotify and i just had a hit random on everything.
1: God, so random. One,
0: I, I listened to it, it caught me, and then I played it again, and I was like, yep. I mean, I thought it was... Just it to me.
1: played it for Paul. I go, isn't this a great lick, man? Come on. You know, like I'm some prolific guitar player, but I have learned a lot from Paul over the years. And I'm a way better guitar player than I used to be. But th- I go, Paul, listen to this quirky King's X meets uh it's some Prague, you know this part. Uh. I go, man, that is dope. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like I know what I'm talking about i'm the same i'm the same guy okay i gotta just take a minute of your time i'm the same guy that years and years ago i'm uh, journey was doing one of their records and uh they had an electric piano in the green room of the recording studio you know the, the little you know what i mean the coffee room or whatever and uh i'm playing piano and i'm playing what i think is jazz and i'm writing a song i was i always hung out all the time you know having the same manager everybody was we all hung out together so when i'm playing this jazzy idea and these and steve smith uh drummer and also famous jazz drummer got his own band vital information and then uh, a, another jazz guy um tom coster famous keyboard player and uh i think and i want to say denny coriel lenny Larry Coriel. I forgot. But we these main men, jazz mafioso kind of guys, are sitting around watching me play the piano. And Tom Coster goes, Hey, what is that? And I go. And I don't know them. I know Steve a little bit, but I'm a cocky idiot. And I go, It's jazz, man. And he goes he goes, That's not jazz. And I go, You don't know what jazz is like an idiot, you know. Oh yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm that guy. I'm 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 the same guy that Troy, my friend Troy Locketta, from uh, uh, the drummer for Tesla. Him and I, uh, we're, him and I, this guy John Nyman, who's in y and um, we were all in a band together, Eric Martin band. And when we broke up, and I went on to Mr. Big or solo stuff, Troy uh, got in uh, a band called City Kid which turned out to be Tesla, you know, and then, so they used to practice, uh, in a place in Sacramento, a street called hammer lane. And Troy goes, I think we might call the band hammer lane. I go, that's a great name, man. That's rock and roll. Yes. <laughs> and then, then he came to the studio where I was working with it, with the whole band to play me their first album, uh, mechanical Residents. And I go, what's Tesla? And Troy goes, that's our new name. And I go, Tesla sucks, man. Hammer Lane, that's a band name. <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, to this day, I get my balls handed to me by, <laughs> by Brian Wheat and Frankie and Troy and Jeff Keith. And they're like, hey, hey, e. that's 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 my nickname. Hey, E, man, you still like Her- hey, you should start a band called Hammer Lane because that's a great <laughs> name. Anyway, Tesla, that's stupid. That'll never make it. Anyway, uh, yeah. But, you know, I say the same thing to Paul Gilbert. Isn't this a great lyric? I'm a great lick. And he goes, yeah, it's okay. It's not something I'd write, you know. But we don't have that much time. And I really wished that we did have the time because some of the music could have been chopped down. I could have made a little bit more sense of, the verse lyrics, they're they're a little quirky. They just kind of, oh my god, I was like, I like, well, I was like, "Hoodoo, voodoo child, get your soul saved, what your soul say." It was like so, what was I thinking? It was some kind of rap or something.
0: considering, you know I mean? the, pre- the, considering the atmosphere to write that album and record it, it's kind of like a pressure cooker. Then I think it was pretty impressive.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I mean, anyway, yeah. It was my it was my least favorite because I thought it was rushed in the recording. But I did like the song. Obviously, I did like it because I've I've had it easily for as long as Mr. Big has been together, and I keep keep. Hey, uh, Eric, don't bring that tune up. (laughs) It's a it's hey. It's gonna be a hit. Yeah. All right. Anyway, that's so funny that I told you about all my foot-and-mouth disease. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, I got a, I got many more than that, but the Tesla one is, just takes the cake. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Tesla? Uh, Tesla? What a stupid name. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that's enough of that.
0: It all worked out. <laughs> oh, it's a great name,
1: and it worked out. First of all, um, sorry, I had to put my guitar away. I'm done. I'm done wowing the audience with my uh you know andre segovia licks my but anyway um i used to uh what was i talking about was i just talking about just a minute ago that brain part oh god i can't remember i'm just uh, i'm racked with it because i I, i've done that a lot where i just go
0: It's that time of the show where we would like to thank Analog Brewing here in Edmonton for being the official beer of Dote Nostalgia. Located at 8620 53rd Avenue, Analog Brewing is one of Edmonton's award-winning breweries. Look for their retro video game cans at your local liquor store or their growing number of tap handles around the city. Or better yet, go visit Adam and Brian in person. Their tap room is open Thursdays through Saturdays from 4 p.m. until 11 p.m. and enjoy $6 pints and an everyday low price of $13 per four-pack on their retro styles with a Z so you know they are 90s kids. That's Analog Brewing Company at 8620 53rd Avenue, Edmonton. Open Thursdays through Saturdays from 4 p.m. until 11 p.m. Analog Brewing, official beer of dope nostalgia.
2: Imagine video like you see in the movies. Graphics you want to reach out and touch. Numbers that fall into place instantly. If that's what you want from your PC, then there's one thing you'll want to have inside it. Because there's one thing that runs all of your PC software best. The Intel Pentium processor.
0: Okay, as a vocalist, I have vocal questions for you. And I, I want to know how have you taken care of your voice over the years? You've never been a smoker, or have you? No, I,
1: ha- I have. Yeah. I have. I'm on and off. Um, you know, it's. Um, this is not. This is like truth or con- truth, c- confession, truth or dare, or whatever. But
0: I am not judging. I smoked for 23 <laughs> years. <laughs>
1: yeah. When I, when I okay, it's a catch 22. When I drink too much. I'll light up a couple smokes, and uh, it's it's hard not to drink. You know, I'll, I'll tell you what, I've I've kept my um, I do vocal lessons. I do a lot of work, so that keeps it working. You know, as soon as you, when you when you do the work and do the tours, and then you come home and you sit on your ass for about two or three months till the next tour, or six months or whatever. And you don't do anything, and you don't use that muscle, then you're going to suck the first couple weeks of of uh, of touring and making records. So I've had the luxury of I'm 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 constantly out on the road, but I'll tell you what I do to uh, I I mean I've done everything to hurt the damn voice of mine. I mean I'll I'll I I've done a lot of rookie moves in my day. I mean I don't do do them anymore. But, you know, going on the road and the first couple gigs, I'm like, oh, this is exciting. And then party with the fans or meet and greet backstage and people you haven't seen since a year ago. And you're like, oh, drink, 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 smoke, 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 smoke. And, and I'm always great after I abuse myself the next day. But it's the following day, Ooh. I suck. And I've sucked about five times in my life. I have a long career, and I remember those five times, and they've they weigh on my shoulders. So
0: has, has I don't do those rookie moves. Has have you had it like break on you in the middle of a, a note, like live?
1: Oh yeah, but well, that happens a lot when you sing twenty four songs a night, you know, with Mr. Big. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's cracked. I mean, that's kind of my tune. That's that's kind of my sound. Uh, I I'll have a little bit of. It it sounds like a cry for help, but it's not. It's just it's it's, artistry.
0: <laughs> it is. It's it's emotion. Yeah. Over emotional. So yeah, I have a buddy who tells me no. That's it's called when you're. It's the good crack, when your voice yeah. is in the right place.
1: Yeah, I um, but I do get, uh, I do get some sore throats the first, couple weeks. About the first week, I'll, get a, I'll, I'll definitely get a sore throat. But once I've done the gig, like every other day or, you know, back in the day, it used to be five, six shows a week or more. I was younger. I could handle it. But nowadays, it's like about three travel, two travel, three travel. It's like that a little bit. And, but when I play acoustic, it's, it's a lot in a row. So that's then that that kind of a different muscle, you know I, it's more, I can sing a lot more when I'm relaxed, but i'm when I'm singing uh, when I'm singing the the devil's music <laughs> 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 I, I i I use a different uh, way I sing or if I have to scream over somebody and granted, um, I used to use wedges monitors for years, but then i uh, but also for um, the other years I've used in, uh, in-ear monitors, which helps so much. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And,
1: um, but yeah, I, I will, I, I, I do get this sore throat and then it just kind of locks in and I can sing, and I can only sing Mr. Pig music for the, the rest of the three or four months tour. But um, I do, you know, I get throat coat tea a lot. Mm-hmm. I I don't even know if it's helping anymore, but I, I kind of like the taste of it, and I'm just kind of I'm going to keep doing it. Um, all kinds of different throat sprays. I was thinking about. Um, I was actually thinking about writing a book, and getting getting all these like um, uh, magical potions or whatnot from all these singers that I've met over the years. I remember. So one time I was talking to Paul Rogers about what he does to keep his voice intact. But he was talking to me. And all I heard was, wah, 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 wah. all I cared about was like, that's Paul Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even pay attention. Yeah. Idiot. Um, oh, my God. He was like, oh, yeah. And all I can think of is like a question going, uh, remember when you played Texas Jam and you, your tooth was missing? I mean, I swear to God, I'm a bumpkin um so uh but there's all kinds of magic potions that people uh, remedies that people will swear on oh man from, from uh from black licorice to uh
0: nimjom have you heard of that what one? is that?
1: what
0: is it no jam. i think it's a, a chinese syrup
1: you think ninjom <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what do you what do you think from <laughs> i can't
0: even spell it for you because uh Someone just gave it to me one day and they're like, here, take this. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay.
1: Uh, I think it's Chinese, a Chinese secret. <laughs> uh, no, it's from North right. Carolina, you bumpkin. Uh, so, uh, what is it? Is it a tea? Is it a.
0: It's like a throat candy. coat syrup. So, you just take oh, a teaspoon oh, uh, of it. Right. And uh, yeah, I think you can get it at like the vitamin stores and like the herbal type of, you know, shops
1: i'm checking it out ram a Nim a coming up um there's another um elderberry syrup is good i've been i did that before i went on the road just recently i was a special guest for these oh, really great singers you would love them now that we're like really good friends i know you so well that you'd love them um they're called fr- called front men and it's Front and M3N. And it's Pete Lincoln, the lead singer for The Sweet, um, Peter Howarth, uh, the singer who took many singers place for The Hollies. And then Mick Wilson, who was the bass player and background singer for 10CC. And the three of them have a really wonderful um, vocal trio. And I was their special guest, singing "To Be With You" in "Wild World" and "Just Take My Heart" and and I got to sing "Long Cool Woman" with them. It was really nice. But they turned me on to elderberry uh, syrup, and you make it like a little tea. And so yeah, I'm divulging my secrets in my book, but um, I wanna, I wouldn't mind writing. Like somebody should do it. Now now it's in a podcast. Somebody's gonna do it. But you know, I I know somebody. Singers and so many artists and what they do and some work and some don't, but it's worth a try. There's been so many times where right before our show, I go, "Oh my god, I have such a sore throat. What do I do?"
2: <laughs> right,
1: and and I'm basically, you know, re- uh, throwing out a lifeline to. You know, I have a my, one of my friends, Jeff Scott Soto. Hey, dude, what do you do? And he goes, "Okay, you mix this and you pour this and you you stir that." You know. <laughs>
0: You make this uh, potion, really? Yeah, Which it. Is and
1: usually, usually, it comes out like, okay, it tastes like shit, but it works. <laughs>
0: yep, that's how it usually goes. I uh, yeah. I host I host a karaoke show, and um, sometimes I like so I like to sing quite a bit. And uh, when I'm not doing this kind of thing, anyway, I, I, I was trying I, to. I, do. I, heard I heard you.
1: I heard you. I heard you. I did my research. I went. but I, I looked on, uh, Facebook. And then I found a couple bands that you're in, or a band, one okay. band, that you're in, and I and I listened to you sing, and you, you rock.
0: Thank you, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you. <laughs> I was gonna tell you. I, okay, so I tried to do this song is my vocal nemesis. It's Wasted Time by Skid Row. Okay. You remember, I don't know if you've heard that song. But I don't. I, that's why I'm saying okay. No, I don't, I, I don't know if I have. You know, Sebastian Bach's voice and how that works. So I always told myself if I take a shot of Southern Comfort right before I sing it, it's going to go great. Yeah. I don't know. I think think Southern Comfort works for about two minutes and then you're, you know, it's alcohol. So then you're all dried out.
1: (laughs) Oh, dude, I've done that a million times where, where, well, I've done that a million times back in the day. I don't do it anymore because it's just a stupid idea. I love when. (laughs) singers uh and I'm not calling you stupid there's a lot of stupid singers that, you, where we got to do something to kickstart our our mojo you know so mm-hmm. i remember we had this band they were called the throbs and they were from new york and the lead singer was like drinking jack daniels before his plan i was like what are you doing man he goes medicinal purposes <laughs> and, and i go I go, trust me, little kid. It doesn't work. You think it works, kind of. Get, it warms the cockles of your cockles if you have <laughs> cockles, and and you go out and you do your thing. But you may you may hit a couple of those first notes in that song. But by the third song, and you're talking to the audience, and you're about ready to sing your ballad, you're gonna choke. And it's just mm-hmm. the way it is. I hate I hate that feeling because i've experimented myself you know
0: i eventually learned that you save that for after the gig and yeah just keep keep the bottles of water going until the show's over really yeah, yeah. that's it i know
1: well, I, I i mean i used to think i mean i did it too with Avantasia. it's such a lax gig i mean you go out I, I don't come out until like forty five minutes into the set. I sing two songs and I go back and I sit around for another hour because there's it's it's a revolving door of singers. and everybody's got five songs, and there's seven singers. So do the math. It's a long time. Mm-hmm. and um, and there's there's a table and it and it's a like when it this is kind of funny, like this is what the Germans came up with this. um. It's a table, and in, in the dark, you can't see your microphone, even though I, I've got green tape around my microphone. Somebody's got a, a red and white stripes, but you can't see it in the dark. So they put um, yellow glow ducks, rubber ducks, on each thing. You know, like Jeff Tate's got some kind of Viking helmet or something. I got I got a duck with glasses because <laughs> it, it, it is what it is. Um, but you still can't see that, but you can see where the moon hits the glowing seventeen bottles of uh, red wine that's on that table as well. So <laughs> man, in between songs i'll I'll be knocking them back in this wine and I'll go out and sing two songs and come back and it kind of doesn't hurt me, but it does hurt you that all that alcohol, even though I just I, I love being high once in a while, but, oh, my God, it it wreaks mm-hmm. havoc on your, especially as you get older. I mean, your throat just kind of squashes up a little bit.
0: It doesn't do what you want it to do at times, right?
1: Yes. This is like a depressing podcast right now. <laughs> it doesn't make me want to drink, trust me. It it it. it, it It's a balancing act that I've done a million times. I love socializing at the end of the show and talking to people, signing autographs and taking pictures and drinking and having a good old time. But, you know, I'm putting the cart before the horse, you know, or the horse before the cart. You know what I'm saying? The show is the most important thing, and I wrestle with that constantly because, you know, I just like... I love the whole three ring circus of it you know mm-hmm. so, anyhow I don't know if you understand I'm, I'm locked, locked in my world um but yeah if you're gonna drink it's gonna punish you and the, and the key to my singing existence is getting an eight-hour sleep because if I don't if you if you're really super tired you're gonna you're gonna choke as well
0: mm-hmm. yeah no and like they say that you need less sleep as you age but I just I don't find that to be true not well, yet.
1: Who's they? The devil?
0: Well, like grandparents, man. They get up. They sleep like five, six hours, and they get up bright and early, five, six a.m. Yeah, I'm a yeah. night owl, so I'm like, nope.
1: Mm-mm. Yeah, but well, your grandparents are feeding the chickens, you know, <laughs> in the morning, and or or they're you know hoeing the 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 garden, or I don't know. Your grandfather's probably still working to this day. Who knows? But oh, oh. singing is a different um, animal, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you. And oh, yeah, this is classic. Okay, they, in your case, they would be grandparents. They, I have the powers that be in my life, always say, you know why you have a sore throat? Because you talk too much. (laughs) Because you you constantly are talking with people and you can't shut up. You just keep talking and talking, which is true.
0: Oh, but the best is if you're trying to socialize before the show in a loud, Bar and yeah. you're just kind of like shouting shouting at each other and mm-hmm. then then go
1: well, and do the show. You, you can't whisper either. You see, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, if you're a talker like me or like you. And whispering. yeah, whispering will kill you too.
0: Oh, yeah, they taught us that whispering is one of the worst things you can do. Anyways, so now that we've, we've schooled everybody.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, and and but, but but what to do is, yeah. You got to get a good night's rest. You got, you know, you know. I know it's cliche, but you know, drink plenty, plenty of water. You got to keep lubricating yourself, uh, like a lot. You just got to keep going. Um, I was chewing gum on stage, which didn't look good, but it, you know, got my, got the juices flowing. Um, <clears throat> I've
0: seen people do that, and I've always wondered why. Because I'd be just, worried that I'd choke on it or something.
1: Oh, it doesn't look good anyway. It Doesn't look good, but. It because of the because of the juice, you know, the sal- yeah. salad, or whatever. Um, yeah, God, I, I, there's so much, so many things what not to do, and and those are the most fun to do. <laughs> right? I know
0: it's moderation, is what it is. Mm. Well, I'm gonna ask you a couple more things, and then I'm gonna uh, let you be free. I was okay. gonna say, are, do you have any special causes that you support? that you want to tell people about to uh, get them involved.
1: Well, I, no, I I don't really have any causes, but I do get a lot of um, I get a, a lot of emails from people that say, you know, I have a charity and could I send the molt, the cornucopia of Mr. Big's stuff that I've accumulated? I got tons of records and and CDs and posters and everything signed and everything. <laughs> so, I'll and if they're interested in Mr. Big, which they are, I'll shove it in a box or a FedEx and I'd send it to them just to help out. I do a lot of that. I just did one in Italy and and I just was just asked a minute ago, which I don't even want to look for it right now to show you how, how Sister Mary I am, but I do, um, I do give as much as I can. Yeah, I just don't, yeah. I don't have any of the the causes, you know. I mean, if not not really. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I you know, I, there's people that have passed away in my life that instead of giving money to the family that they don't need it, they give give it to like a cancer program or something like that, mm-hmm. or or Parkinson's,
0: which, right.
1: like you I know like. Where Pat Torpy, uh, our drummer f- for um, Mr. Big, you know, he passed away. Uh, people were directed to, um, you know, send money to Parkinson's. And I did that.
0: My condolences to you guys on, oh, on, on, on yeah. that for sure. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah, Parkinson's is something actually a lot of us a lot of us deal with or have a family member or a friend. Okay. So
1: there was all kinds of things that was wrong with him as well. Parkinson was, was the main thing. But, um, oh yeah. I, every time I talk about him, it's just so, it's, it's, it's still fresh. It's so depressing. And I wish that I, you know, um, I'm, when I told you about him earlier, about how Pat had a pop sense, I I also wanted to say that I connected with Pat in a, in a, in a close way. I mean, we both love, uh, we both came from parents that were in the military, uh, and we love sports. Uh, he was an avid, uh, LA Dodgers baseball fan and I loved base. You know, I, I'm a big sports fan as well. And we had a lot, to, we talked a lot about that kind of stuff. His politics were way different than mine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, way too. He, him and Billy were Republicans, and me and uh, Paul were—I don't know what Paul was, but I was a Democrat. So we we had multiple conversations on the tour bus. That's when the wine should have came out, <laughs> <clears throat> and it probably did. But um, but but I I, I loved Pat as a person. He was a phenomenal drummer, and I miss him so much as a singer as well. He was my kind of go-to guy, I don't know how you'd say it, but where Billy and Paul, they sang as well, but Pat was more of a lead singer, and so he was my second, you know, like we said earlier, like Lennon and McCartney kind of vibe. He was my the guy that would harmonize with me. Um, I miss that, and I. But I miss him as a as a person because he he really, (laughs) when we'd be on the road, he'd go, and I'm always stirring up some shit or something, and he'd go, Eric, Eric, could you just stop rocking the boat? We're almost home. Like (laughs) a a lot, Eric. Oh man. And I'd go, God, Pat, you're making me out to be so bad. He goes, Ah, come on, let's just. You know, because I'd always want to have a band meeting, right? Or I don't like something going on here. Anyway, uh, but I, I, I love the guy so much. I was a, a friend of mine named da- David Calcano, he, he's a, uh, a writer and a cartoonist. And he, I wish I could, it, if you can look it up online, it's called Fantunes, Fantoons, F-A-N-T-O-O-N-S. Yeah, and he try to find it. I have it because he he sent it to me, but I I think he sent it to me from his own files. But it was it's like a he did a he did some cartoon or animation work for us. He did a, a like a Mr. Big kind of comical movie that we played right before we went on tour. I mean before we came out on stage when we played in Asia a couple of years ago. It was it, it's. It's really funny and 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 odd too. Little, it's just it's it's kind of like slapstick. It's violent, but it's Three Stooges violent, you know. Um, And it's animation. And there's like little pieces of things where uh, this this guy's walking along down the street, and and a limousine pulls up, and it's the four of us, and it's all we're all distorted-looking cartoon characters. And we we throw a ticket to this guy, and he doesn't have a car to get to the big venue where Mr. Big's playing, so he runs up over to this grocery store and sees a bulldog, Colorado bulldog. Get it, from an old song of ours, and yeah. the, and and the and the dog's got a Colorado bulldog, um, um, uh, a dog license, and then he somehow get rides this bulldog in a funny way, and he hit and he and he's riding line. He hits a pole. And uh, it's right next to a manhole cover, and a and a, and a guy sticks his head out of a manhole cover, which is very reminiscent of our Bump Ahead album. <clears throat> and then he almost gets his head run over by a car that has <clears throat> a, a, a guy that's like made in straw, like a hayman from our Hayman album. And he's like, it's just a whole bunch, a series of Mr. Big-type cartoon. It's really great. But he also did a... Uh, little cartoon movie about Pat Torpy. Um, And it's, it's, it's fantastic. It, and it's, it's, it's funny, but it's tearjerker, man. It's, it's really intense. I just watched it last night. Um, Yeah. I think your, your listeners would totally dig it. Um,
0: I can. Yeah. And you know what? I'm probably going to post a link to it if I can on our social media.
1: I, yeah, I, I'll try to find it and send it to you. Um, it, yeah, David Calcano, and an, ironically, he's done a bunch of um, books, animation books, for Rush. Actually, that's that's his kind of a new, his new gig now, that he works for the Rush, uh, 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 whatever the Rush e- entity or whatever. Anyway. Um, Yeah, it's it's like a little story about Pat, about him starting out and, like, what he had to do and his struggles as a drummer. And, you know, like, like I think he started out playing polka music, actually, from his grandparents or his father. And then just those funny little moments of uh, playing in rehearsal studios, uh, honing his drum craft and And the power goes off, and he's got it by candlelight. and it's and that's kind of cute, little funny little moments. And then it talks about his Parkinson's a little bit about how he found out. And it's all in this cartoon. It's really intense, but really well done.
0: I'm gonna watch that later. I yeah,
1: like. yeah if I, I'll, I, I'll tell you what if if I can, I'll send you a link. I've tried. I've I reached out to David Calcano to find that Pat Torby thing, and he sent it to me. And maybe I can send you that whole, <clears throat> excuse me, video for you to um, to look at, and then also point your fans in in the direction. Okay.
0: Yeah, I would really appreciate that. It would be a nice thing to share for sure.
1: Absolutely.
0: Now, I would like to ask you one more question from one of our uh, friends of the show. Her name's Kendra. Um, She wanted to ask.
1: Ever had sex with that woman? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
0: Sorry. I don't know why. First of all,
1: I'm I'm slapping my wrist right now. Bad
0: singer. Okay. Okay. I thought this was a unique question. Um, If you could choose one new artist to cover a Mr. Big song, which artist would you choose and which song would it be? Ooh. that's gonna ah. I just threw you under the bus, didn't I?
1: You threw me under the bus. Um, there's an album that uh, this is when the band uh, we kind of split up after Paul Gilbert left, and this is before we got Richie Cotton. But in that little, in those in those years, um, I think Billy and Pat put together a an album. Called Influences and Connections. It's out there somewhere. And it's the same kind of question you asked. I had not I didn't have anything to do with it, but it, I just I wrote songs on it. But it's it's a Mr. Big album sung by Doug Pinnock, King's X, um God, what's the kid's name? Oh God, Donnie V, Enough's Enough.
0: Oh, Enough's Enough, yes.
1: Uh, he sings "Green Tinted Sixties Mind." Actually,
0: I need to hear that.
1: Yeah, you need to hear.
0: Um, I'm a big enoughs enough fan too.
1: I think Richie Cotton might be singing "To Be With You." Uh, Billy Sheehan sings "Addicted at Rush," and and it's played by different musicians. And and I, oh, um, uh, how about this? And this this is something that I would have wanted. Uh, Ann Wilson. God, I think she sing, sings "Just Take My Heart," or 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 something like that. Maybe I don't know "Promise of the Moon," but it's one it's a it's one of those the ballads that we have. But Ann Wilson sings it, and like, oh my God, that that was like it's
0: a privilege to. Have oh,
1: you. I know I got chills when I heard it. Um, God, what? I, oh 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 yeah. Um, so you so those who know us and Mr. Big. We got our name, uh, the title, our name, Mr. Big, from uh, Free with Paul Rogers. There was like it was the one band that we all agreed that we loved, and uh, P- Pat was looking at his old albums, and and I don't remember what album, but it is it could be Heartbreaker. I don't remember, but the last song on the record is a song called Mr. Big, and that's where we got the name uh, of our band. Anyway. They got Paul Rogers to sing Mr. Big on that Influence and Connections. And that. That's kind of a chill. I wish I was there. I, I wish I, I wasn't there with the band. We kind of broke. We well, it was a we broke up or a hiatus, hiatus or whatever. But I or I was out of the country or something. But I heard about it. and I was like, oh, I would love to to been a, a fly on a wall on that one. Um. A bunch of people sang a bunch of songs but yeah i'm, I'm gonna go with that answer That's and, answer. and yeah, yeah because those are the artists that i loved anyway um to have i mean i love donnie v I, I mean i love enough's enough that was they, they were the first band that we took out when we uh when we headlined our our, our first tour yeah. it was we, we opened a winger. That was our first tour. And then when we started headlining, Enough's Enough was our opener, which was hilarious. Those guys driving around in literally a Greyhound bus with like <laughs> cheap, you know, bedspreads and sheets as windows. And oh my God. And the door would open up and it was like a Cheech and Chong movie, all the smoke coming out, just, just like you think. But Boy, Donnie could write some great songs.
0: Yeah, he had a real Beatles sensibility to him, hey?
1: He like, still does, actually. Yeah. He, he's he's, he's A friend of mine, a friend oh. of mine named Aaron Duke, he's a manager of Donnie V, and he just approached me recently to see if I wanted to, to go in on a managing deal. And... Um, and he turned me on to a bunch of songs that Donnie was doing and he's still great and uh, and clean and sober and a force to be reckoned with. He's, nice. he's, he's great. I love him.
0: You know, you've made me very happy today and all our listeners are going to be very happy too that you uh, took the time to t- chat with me. Oh, uh, I
1: loved it. I enjoyed it. I, good. Sorry <laughs> uh, Sorry if I didn't, I know I interrupted you and talked over you and If one one of my ex wives hears this, they're going to go, aha, that's what you do.
0: (laughs) That's what I want. I wanted you to do the talking. So thank you. And uh, yeah, you're one of my vocal heroes. So it's been like a really, really great time chatting with you. Woohoo. Yes. (laughs) So um, great. I'm a new. uh,
1: I was just about to go, sorry, I I couldn't help it. it. Sorry. (laughs) It just happens. You know, anytime I get around the Canadian brothers and sisters. I mean, hopefully, you know, the older fans, will they'll go, oh, I see what he's doing there. And your younger fans are going to go, I, I don't get it. Is that some kind of rooster? I don't get, I don't get it. All right. Um, anyway, uh, that being said, uh, let me just say, so my future plans is to go on the road in uh, May as as my solo thing and okay. then then june with avantasia june Thank july you. august and then uh and then i mean i get i hear from the rumor mill and management company maybe maybe the notorious big will do something who knows um i'm up for anything i'm i don't uh, i don't I'm not, I used to sweat it every year. Are we going to do an album? Oh God, I hope we tour every year since, well, since uh, 2009 when we got back together. And I'm just trying, you know, when I least expect it, it will come. This, this is my, this has been my mantra my whole life. Um, When I least expect something and I don't fret on it, sweat, the small stuff. On any of it, it will eventually it'll it'll surprise me, which is great and i I hope yeah, something looks. happens mr big yeah
0: yeah send me an email at that link
1: i i definitely will you, you i really want your your uh your listeners to check it out and to know um, you know the trials and tribulations and all the um, was another big word. <laughs> The adversity that Pat Torpey had to go through, to um, to get where he 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 wanted to be, and then what he eventually you know killed him, which was. Uh, but it was different. It was such, such a when you when you watch it, it's you're going to go oh it, it 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 looks like one of those old cartoons before the drive-in movie.
2: Yeah. Kind of-
1: Quirky animation movie. It's really neat, and then but then it, it's it's pretty dark, but it's true, and and it, he 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 had just gotten the the disease, and that's where it l- l- leads it. And David Calcano was going to do some more, and then uh, you know then we went on the road a couple years, and then Pat passed. You know, so fuck. It was um, I I think your your listeners would get a kick out of it.
0: I think it's important to share a story, so that's that's definitely a good way to do it. song 1992 from Mr. Big a song that recaps what they went through during that time when their big hit To Be With You came out and how they were treated by the fans the record company it's a great great tune and it uh, tells their story a bit we're going to share on our social media uh, Fantunes Animation Studios the video Chasing Mr. Big the opening animated movie for their tour in 2014 as well as soon as we get a link we're going to share with you the video that was made tribute to pat torpy once we get our hands on that we're going to share you the link on our social media as well rest in peace pat torpy you are a huge inspiration to many and thank you for being a part of mr Big's legacy for all the fans to love and adore you we're going to make this a two-parter episode because we're going to be sharing the next part with my friend kendra who's going to come on and uh, hang out with me and chat over some drinks about the history of Mr. Big as well as go over our favorite tunes together favorite, favorite Mr. Big songs so that's coming up two episodes, one day you guys take care
3: social media, yeah, we've got it send us an email Dope Nostalgia Podcast at gmail.com Twitter, Nostalgia Dope or on Insta Dope underscore Nostalgia
0: This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.